Does anybody have it this week on LinkedIn? What is that? Basically, we take a question from LinkedIn at the end and we answer it. I don't usually make it to the end of the podcast. Oh, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you make it to the start of the podcast. So I just <laughs> everybody welcome to this week's episode of the RevOps podcast i am of course your host jordan henderson by the way i say of course now because at this point it's like episode 35 if you're not familiar with my voice and you're just tuning <laughs> in but like there's lots of it and it's always me one time it was brandon but mostly me and that episode was not great so we're not going to as usual by jonathan stevens and brandon redlinger do you think guys let's get it out of the way brandon here one of the other hosts of the podcast. <laughs> this is John, also the, most, also the other the, host. The, the, the most stern response either of you've ever had to anything, period. Like, you <laughs> usually, usually so up in the air this time. Like, I am Brandon. I'm really glad you're both sure of who you are. Um, That's right. And today we have a, a, a special guest, continuing the tradition of guest episodes, which is our recent sort of segue. We're, we're past the 201. We're into the guest, the 301, the practitioner, the real world examples of how to do some of this stuff. We're joined by... Uh, Somebody that I would call a longtime colleague of, of mine, Ryan Valancourt, the, the VP of Sales of Revenue IO. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and say hi, Ryan. What's up, boys? Thank you for having me. Uh, Ryan and I have worked together actually multiple times in our career. We sort of started at the ground up together early in our career. Our first tech jobs were at the same company. Uh, we were we both started as uh, community organizers was our job title, I believe, first. That was my first job title in, in tech. I think it was yours too, right? Yeah, it was catch-all for SDR, account executive, yeah. support rep, uh, customer success rep. Yeah, it was a nice little catch-all. Yeah, it's, it's basically just like, come here, do some work. Like, do, do a job, find out what you can do. Sounds um, like a startup. Fill in the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was. Actually, it's interesting because I think that whether you've connected the dots or not, I feel like that's the origin story of your, you know, finding yourself in this, in this RevOps role. Because... As you grew at that company, you know, you, you found yourself in what was essentially a RevOps role, but I don't think RevOps as a term had even been coined yeah, yet. I, was it was, like, I don't know what this guy is doing. <laughs> I just know we can't possibly run the business without him. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about this a couple of times about the evolution of my job titles at that business. And when I, when I left that company, my job title was like senior director of sales operations, sales development and finance or something. Like it was just like a long conglomerate of departments just tacked on to one (laughs) another because RevOps didn't exist. And they're like, here you go. Like this is, this is what your title is. Um, It looks really ridiculous. It's still on my LinkedIn, actually, which I love. Um, But uh, Ryan actually was at the company when I joined already and sort of grew into a uh, sales leadership role over the course of time there. And and I would say, and I will say this, uh, the the best seller I've ever worked with is Joe Raphael. The second best seller I've ever worked with... Is is Ryan Valancourt, Um, because I watched him close deal after deal after deal 
over the course of two years and the most consultative seller and one of the best sales coaches I've ever, I've ever worked with. Um, don't let that go to your head. So <laughs> Ryan's a VP of sales at Revenue.io. He's a cycling enthusiast. He's run marathons. I've actually gone and watched him run a marathon. That's how long we've known each other. I came, to the, fan, marathon. I came to the LA Marathon and I watched. Um, and wow, a fun fact about Ryan before we get into the actual episode, because this is the longest intro of all time. <laughs> Ryan is physically unable to say the word Probably. Go ahead and give it a go. Let's try it for everybody. Thanks to you. I'm wildly uh, self-conscious about this now. I'm not going to try it now. But what's going to happen is it turns out that word needs to be spoken all the time. And so let's let it, let's let that opportunity organically present itself. And maybe I will forget. Maybe I'll forget. Most likely not. See what I did there? <laughs> like, uh, there you go. I see what you did there. It, it also kills me because I noticed this like the second day I worked with you. I think I noticed it basically in the interview process because you interviewed me for a job back then. And, mm-hmm. and I, nobody ever seems to notice it until I point it out. And then you could just hear the glass break in their mind that they will never unhear the way you say probably, which is wildly wrong. All right. So we'll, let's, let's, let's explain that for one second. So I come from Rhode Island. And Rhode Island in New England is uh, associated with an accent that is similar to what most people recognize as a Boston accent. It's not quite as hard as at least the stereotypical one. But like a Boston accent, we were soft with the R's, except for this random collection of words where we insert them where they don't belong. (laughs) <laughs> and so that's why that that's that's why I say probably. you're avoiding the word. You're avoiding the word. You, you you wanted to say it right. That you wanted to say that is probably why you say it that way. All right. Anyways, anyways, a little bit of main etymology for everybody today. Starting out strong, we're going to talk about sales coaching because, as I said, Ryan is I, I think the best sales coach I've ever worked with. I've coached a lot of sales, and I'm not nearly as good at it as Ryan. And uh, perfect topic for him to talk about. So. Before we do this, one thing we always have to do, Ryan, what's your definition of sales coaching? Uh, my definition of sales coaching is to, can I, can I just say coaching in general? I believe coaching yeah. is help people realize their potential and then expand their potential. Like it. Nice. Simple, simple, sleek, beautiful. All right. Elegant. Anybody, mm-hmm. Jonathan, Brandon, thoughts, thoughts on that? You guys want to try one of your definitions? You're really bad at them. So I think we'd stick with Ryan's probably, but. Coaching and sales. <laughs> okay, typical, typical Jonathan answer. Oh, man, that's why I'm never calling on either of you again. All right, so so we're gonna we're we're gonna dive deep in today a little bit a little bit deeper later on into like key data that drives your sales coaching approach, right? Like, but before we get there, I think it's pretty important because I think we talk about sales coaching, and we just sort of like assume. Like sales coaching is this like skip to the finish line sort of approach to coaching. Like I'm gonna jump on a call and coach you. But I think there's more in, that goes into like successful and proper coaching than that to make it actually be impactful and effective. And you have to lay some level of a foundation, right? So before you get into actual like coaching, me telling you what you could have done better or me identifying growth edges and doing those sort of things, how do you lay a foundation so that the coaching is actually received? Ryan, this is you. This is all you. Okay. So it's, a, it's an important question. It's the right place to start. I think that this this is maybe not an obvious answer, 
but I actually, I think it starts with values. So it's, we can get into tactics and workflows and plays you can run as a coach or as a manager, but coaching is something that occurs and that works really well in an environment where coaching is really, really baked into the, the values. And, and it's really not coaching. It's actually where growth and personal development and learning is understood by the community as a value. You know, this isn't, this is important to us. It is people understand that learning and development and maximizing personal growth is actually the way that you achieve a collective mission. And the reason that's so important is because when you have that, everybody expects coaching. Everybody understands that we're here because we are on a journey of personal development and growth, right? The, the point is to grow. And then where it really, really matters, I mean, if you have coaching and self-development and continuous learning baked into culture through values, it informs who you hire. Mm. You know, if I'm doing a good job hiring, if I'm doing a good job recruiting, the most important thing is not are you coachable. Everybody asks, are you coachable? Or they ask questions to assess someone's coachability. I haven't found a good way to do that in an interview. Nobody's going to reveal that they're uncoachable in an interview process. That's not what you want to figure out. You want to figure out if somebody's coachable. Everybody's going to seem coachable. What you want to try to assess is, are you obsessed with getting better? Are you obsessed with learning? Are you obsessed with self-development? Um, and then also, do you have the potential to be a teacher? Do you have the potential to be a coach? Because it's about creating the culture. Mm-hmm. Well, what, one thing I, I do think you can do in interviews, especially sales interviews, a lot of times in a sales interview, um, they are pitching something to you, right? It's doing a mock presentation. It's doing a mock demo or something like that. I, I think you can start to get an idea of how coachable someone is by then stopping and saying, okay, I'm going to give you some feedback and then give them another chance. And that feedback, are they saying, wait, 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 hold on. I I think I did that. Or are they saying, oh, interesting. You know, you're right. Tell me a little bit more about what you're looking for or something like that. You know, I I think you can get hints at how coachable someone is um, in the interview processes. I, I agree. And by all means, you should try to assess that. And it's definitely, it's something we do here. For example, we, we have A's, Perspective AEs do d- demo presentations, yep. Yep. and half of the point for 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 those of you in the in the hiring process, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you a freebie. Half of the point of that is how do you respond to the feedback that that exactly. you get from the panel after? So to- totally agree, it's important. I just I think it is it's helpful to distinguish the difference between coachability and are you obsessed with yeah. like mm. growth and personal growth and development? Yeah. Do, you, and it's, do, you, do you accept coaching and do you, or do you seek it out? Right. Are you mm-hmm. hungry for it? There's a big difference there. And, and, in uh, fact, in fact, sorry to cut you off, Jordan, but that feedback session, it starts every time with, Hey, like, how was that for you? Yeah. And when someone says that was a really good experience, but I, I know out of the gate, I really wish I would have teed that up a little bit differently. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, exactly. There's my candidate. I I always ask my candidates for that. Like before every session, after every session, right? It's like, 
so how was your interview with so-and-so? Yeah. I want to, yeah. I really want to know what they think. By the way, there's a, there's a, um, there's a question that I actually, for, for all my interviews, and this is again, for everybody interviewing with me, this will just totally kick the can down the road for you. This, but, this uh, is just turning into that, how to get a I, job. I, right. <laughs> well, well, but, but I stole, I stole this question from Ryan probably like seven or eight years ago now, which is for SDRs specifically, cause they're not like SDRs. I'm not looking for like the polished, ready to go SDR. I'm looking for that diamond in the rough that I can teach for a couple of weeks and then like get them there. Right. And they're hungry and they've got the, the rough skills and they just need to be refined in that and so specifically for them i would use it which is which is ryan actually asked me this once upon a time like what are you what are you passionate about like what's the thing you're passionate about and so say say i answer that question with uh cycling or like ryan answers it with cycling okay teach me something about cycling like assume i know nothing about it like, teach me something about cycling and if they can do that if they can turn around and teach you something that you know well informed in a way that that is actually meaningful to you they got the chops right like that that's there they've they've got the ability to sell they've got that humbled in and and if they're passionate about it and they start to teach you things that are pretty in depth they're hungry for learning about things they're passionate about which is which is a really good indicator also on that question the first thing i i look for i sometimes do that too is cuz it's a great way to assess someone's ability to teach which is in my view that's what sales is it's teaching the folks who who do that really well are the folks who exhibit that kind of continuous learner mentality they tend to have lots of passions and so when they get that question the best candidates they they sort of pause and say "Ooh, hmm what like huh which what should i pick and the ones who are going to struggle are the ones who are just absolutely frozen in terror <laughs> can't remember what the hell they're passionate about. I don't, I'm not passionate about it. But by the way, the, my favorite one, because yeah, you're totally right, but my favorite, it's only happened a couple of times, but I'll get through that whole process. The person will list five things and I'll be like, okay, cooking, teach me something about cooking. And they teach me something about cooking and we get towards the end of the interview and I'm like, great. And they're, I'm like, okay, any like last questions? A handful of them have said, that passion question, like, why did you ask me that? Like, oh man, that is a good question to ask. Like, let me explain that to you. But like, man, you are, that is top of my list suddenly really fast for asking me that. <laughs> like, cause at that level, like they want to know, even that is bothering them. They want to know, they want to get under that, which is super important. <laughs> um, I love that we started with coaching and values. Anything else on this for a slide forward? I think one thing to add is just empowering self-confidence being sold to by somebody who doesn't have confidence versus somebody who's fumbling and still trying to figure things out. That is, it's so obvious on the other end of the equation when you have a seller coming into you, who's not confident. So I think that's also another element is, is just building confidence within that seller. Jonathan, can I ask you to, 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 to expand on that a little bit as someone who sounds like you've been on the, the, the other end of a sales process. So you've been an evaluator and you've worked with someone who you understood as, as confident and somebody who wasn't, what, what, how does it make you feel when somebody's not confident? Like, why, why, why is that a problem? It makes me feel like maybe there's some hidden bugs in that product that I don't, they don't, mm. they know about that they're trying to sell me on the product, but they know deep down inside, maybe there's a bad sale in there. And I, I kind of get that in the back mm. of my mind. Whereas when it comes it, from it, a place, it translates that, to a lack of confidence in their own product, yeah, yeah. right? Mm. And when I get somebody with confidence, I'm like, okay, I mean, they know their products, the shit. Yeah, I better, uh, they, they, better they truly series. believe this is great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but hold on, hold on, because you're also going to get the very talented presenter 
very confident, whose product is dog shit. Can I swear on this podcast? Oh yeah. Like yeah, we swear, all, we swear all the time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So how do like how 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 do you try to assess the difference between confidence and sales swagger? Yeah. I mean, you, you can't do all that with the person. I think at that point, then you got to do your due diligence and start looking into the product. And hopefully you've got a team behind you who can help you really analyze and make sure you're not going to be missing anything. But yeah, there is that instance where you've got a great seller selling a, a buggy ass product, but that's usually on the rare side of things. Usually the good sellers go to the good products. Jonathan, I will say you, you get sold on sellers. Though, I do. I too. do. Oh yeah. Yeah, you absolutely do. Because there's, there's been a lot. There's been a lot of like tech we've looked at where you'll message me, ah, oh, this sales rep is great. We should poach him. I'm like, are you looking at products? Are you like, hey, like, yeah, I like it. I like it. Like, I don't. I don't like this product though. Like, well, I'm not here to evaluate the seller. Like, <laughs> if we can find good sales reps and poach them, yeah, especially. But yeah, we, we, definitely, we definitely try that for sure. Yeah, yeah you've messaged me that like a handful of times, and every time I'm like, why are you paying attention to that? Like, that's not what we're here to do. Especially uh, in the he world, he appreciates of, a good sales rep and wants to reward them. Exactly, I buy the product. In the world of SaaS, you run into so many reps who have no technical chops whatsoever, and usually they'll bring along a sales engineer to be that technical chop person. So when you do get that rep who can handle the technical chops and the sales process you're just like oh this is a home run person right here yeah that's true that's very true um, i'm gonna slide forward because i love, I love one bullet into the outline also ryan asked a question i don't need to remind you i'm the host all right i asked i'm just kidding um so so there's a thing that you say three words that you say more than anybody else i've ever met in my life and those three words are do you know what they are do you want to guess uh, probably <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the ebbing house for getting curve that's a no, phrase no, no, that no. i had never really heard until i met you and i think i've heard you say it pretty much once a week for the past forever so mm. do you do you want to do you want to talk about the ebbing house for getting curve what it means and why it's important to you when it relates to coaching because i know it's very very important to you as it relates to coaching Urban Ebbinghaus, that's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, German psychologist who is in, in the 1940s uh, testing and evaluating uh, a theory or an observation that um, it, this was actually specific to, to students in psychology who he was teaching and he'd teach all this information and He'd get extremely frustrated that um, most of the information that he was teaching in, in, uh, in to, to these graduate students was, you know, the class would be great and they'd be really, really engaged. And a month later, it's as if the class didn't happen. Um, and so long story short, he did the first bit of real scientific research that found that human beings, we forget most of the new information that we learn really fast. I believe his, this sort of the headline of the data was 87% of new information that was being taught was being forgotten within 30 days. And that study or that phenomenon has been restudied and reconfirmed. Gardner actually did a kind of recycled that study just, just last year 
and they were focused specifically in the sales world. And any person who's managed a sales team can relate to that. Um, now, half the reason they forget is because I think a lot of management and training is, isn't really isn't really good. Um, but also, there there is just this phenomenon, which is yeah, we we forget most information within thirty days, and there's antidotes to that. But essentially, the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve um, is, is what describes that phenomenon. We forget the vast majority of new information within 30 days. Which is terrifying. And we all know it's true because I forget the vast amount of information in 30 days, right? (laughs) Like I know it's true for me. I know it's true for most people. So how does that inform your coaching strategies? Like as you know, when you're coaching a team, what impact does that have on the approach you take? So number one is if you know that that's a, a, a dynamic, a, a phenomenon that, that you're up against, you know, information retention. I would say the first thing is, especially in a, in a group setting, when you're thinking about what you're training your team on, if you do not have a plan for how you're going to do reinforcement and repetition, don't bother. Just don't do the training. It's a complete waste of time. Do not do it. Cancel the training. Spend the 45 minutes that you've got on the calendar, get out your notepad or, or figure out a process if you don't already have one for how you're going to create a reinforcement or sort of repetition plan um, to, to reinforce whatever it is that you're trying, trying to train, to, to, to train. That's, that, that's, that's number one. And then number two is if you go back to values and building a foundation for coaching, you, you need to educate your people that they're going to forget this information if they don't practice. There's an amazing book, uh, Brandon, you and I have talked a ton about this. Anybody who's interested in the the neuroscience of uh, remembering and habit formation and just mastery of anything, great, 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 great book called The Talent Code by a guy named Daniel Coyle. And the premise of The Talent Code is Daniel Coyle uh, a researcher, he basically goes around the wor- world and he was trying to study, trying to find correlations between um, communities where there was a concentration of mastery. So, for example, he he fi- he goes and he studies, he tries to understand why did Brazilians emerge as seemingly almost genetically predispositioned to be better at football, soccer than anybody else in the world. And he actually was interested in because it turns out we know that now, but that wasn't actually always true. Brazil on a national stage used to get their butts kicked like prior to, to, to the eighties. Um, and then he also, for example, he studied, you know, why is it that this particular region of Korea, I believe was producing this, this crazy concentration of these world-class orchestral musicians. And those are two of, I think, like 12 different examples. And as he studied basically what led to it, he was able to piece together, but n- number one, really, really, really strong practices and cultures of practice. But in particular, um, he, he coined this concept called chunking. So you take the thing that you want to master, you practice it, and the way that you practice is you distill the habit, you distill the skill down into individual chunks. So apply that to a cold call. You know, a cold call has lots of different chunks. You know, the first chunk is the opener. Practice and nail the opener. Practice it, repeat it, do it 50 times, do it 60 times before you master that. Okay, well, what are the other components of a cold call? The pitch, the the call to action, how you handle the invariable, uh, you know, uh, objection. So anyway, 
to go back and repeat it. Number one, do not train, don't coach on anything unless you have a plan or the ability or the process or the systems to drive, you know, reinforcement and then establish practice as a value. I love that. That is the most in-depth answer to a question I think we've ever got on the podcast. And it's super helpful. <laughs> Chunk, chunking, by the way, though, could he, he did all that research, went to all these countries, did the things, and he came up with chunking as the, <laughs> the, 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 the term to coin for describing what is he's like a, he's a revolutionary not a marketer, training. You know? I mean, hire one for a day to come up with a better word than chunking. It's a JavaScript but term. I, yeah. Wait, can I tell you actually, it's, it's, it's probably too much on the talent code, but there's one, one example in that book that I, is just still mind blowing to me as a, as a sort of a creative uh, implementation of chunking of, of practicing. There was this, um, there, there was this, uh, music teacher who I believe was a professor at, uh, at Juilliard who coined this, uh, this practicing technique where students who are learning this you know, big complicated piece of music, they would get one, one bar, one measure of the music, or maybe, maybe four bars at a time, but the professor would give the bars to the students out of order. So if the piece was 64 bars of music, most of us are sort of learning it linearly. And the reason for that was just driving mastery and expertise at each individual component and so the students would really, really practice there and they're focusing on mastering the, just this piece versus like, okay, I'm, I'm linear, linearly memorizing something. Mm-hmm. And then when they put it all together in the right order, each section has been mastered. So then it's played beautifully all the way through. The exactly. And I love that example, like for salespeople out there listening, like li- listen to the, the, the creativity and the depth that the best you know, masters and coaches go to, to create these practice regimens. Y'all, are you practicing? Why are you not practicing? You're talking about practice? <laughs> talking about practice? That was the way I was seeing if anybody was going to make the reference. Practice? Uh, oh, man, that's awesome. Um, all right, so so then let's let's segue into this because I, I, this is fascinating. So we're talking about chunking and, and the sales process, by the way. Like your sales process is pretty clearly broken out into different segments. It's relatively easy to chunk. So you talk about coaching back to the sales team. Like you've already got predefined chunks in a lot of ways, shapes, or form, right? And that, that's pretty easy. And you can pretty easily identify you know, which chunk needs work. So let's let's go there. Data time. Like this is the RevOps podcast. What, what are some key data points you use to identify like, hey, this, this chunk, you know, is where I never said chunk this many times and I'm wildly uncomfortable with it. But this chunk <laughs> yeah. is, is where this rep needs work. Okay, cool. So you're going to hate my first answer as a, as a, as a I, RevOps guy. They've all it. been good so far, but the, the, like, like, let's get there, I guess. No, this one's, this one's, this one's you're going to hate, but then I'll try to come up with, with, with one that you'll love. The first one, okay, what's, what's, what's the data that helps you decide what to coach is you, you have to start with the self-reported data. And what I mean by that is, look, you, as long as you've got the right people, right, you've identified people who care about personal growth and development, you know, ask them, what, what, what do you want to get better at? They usually know. And yeah. always make sure you know what the, per, like, what is it that they believe they need to be working on? It's they're they're right. Most of the time with one caveat, it took me a while to learn this, learn this front from, from a great mentor. So ask the rep, ask the person, what do you want to get better at? But don't do this. Don't say, okay, amazing. Like, great. Now we'll come up with a plan to, to coach toward that. 
the first step as a great manager, as a great coach, is you have to assess whether the thing they want to get better at is something that you want to assess whether they're, whether they're thinking big enough. Remember, if you go back to the definition, your job as a coach is to help someone realize their potential. So for example, if, if a rep is doing some goal setting and they're like, oh, I want to like, I just, I want to meet my quota. You want to meet your quota. What are you talking about? You want to meet your quota? Yeah. Like, what do you, what, what do you want to do over the next two years? And if you're like, you know, if you're money motivated, how much money do you want to make? Or what do you, what are you really, really trying to achieve? And then let's break that down into some sort of quarterly goal. So start with, what do you want to get better at? And then, you know, in, in relation to what big, hairy, audacious goal, right, are they, are they thinking big enough? And then, then focus your coaching toward that, right? I, I actually, for what it's worth, I don't hate the answer. I actually think there's, there's an operational component of this answer that hmm. would, be, would be missed on some, which is uh, the bigger your company gets, the more sales coaches you have, coaching teams of 10, 6, whatever your team sizes are, right? And you might get to a company where you have nine different sales teams all being coached by nine different sellers and lots of sellers that are asking to be coached on the same thing that are getting individual coaching from their manager on it. That data is super valuable for your ops team to work with your enablement team and the rest of your revenue operation. Because if if three people on each of your sales managers team are asking, hey, I just really need more, more focus on how to handle demo requests, right? That's important for me to know because we can do team-wide trainings. We can work with the enable team to roll it out for everybody. We can figure out how to improve the process for those leads specifically to help them be better at those from an operational standpoint as well. So it takes that one-on-one feedback, which, yeah, I think to your point, is absolutely the most valuable way to identify where to coach, but then using that to actually improve the whole revenue operation too. And, and, and when I hear that, when I hear somebody say, like you or Jake, you know, the sales manager will say, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work with so-and-so on this thing. Like, cool, there's probably four other people that also probably need work on that thing. Let's figure out how to clean that up from an operations standpoint too. And let's totally. do team-wide trainings. Like it's it's absolutely fundamentally valuable data for me as well in ops. And I think that would be missed by a lot. No, you're right. I mean, my my example was focused in in the one-to-one. One-to-one. But you your 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 point is the same. I mean, as as revenue operations. I, th- I think yours and, and our responsibility is making sure we're creating a system so we can gather that feedback at, at scale. Because then there's also the question from a coaching perspective is, you know, what do you, what's the coaching you need to do that is individualized versus what's the coaching that you need to do where how, how you scale that across an organization is, is actually the question. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that becomes the next thing is what, yeah, when to do one-to-one versus one-to-many coaching. Right. And that's, that's a different thing. And also I would flag most of the time, most of the time, if you're getting a lot of reps saying, I need the same amount of coaching, there's probably something we can do different from an ops standpoint to support that, that chunk of our sales process. There's probably something we can do on an, like purely ops to operationally improve somewhere to help the reps be better at that as well. I think you mean probably, but yes. Um, <laughs> but oh, but I can't I can't do it anymore. I can't unhear it. If we get into some some actual data and in, in, in metrics, I mean, there are so many places you could you could take this question. I mean, obviously, it depends on are we talking about reps who are top of funnel? Are we talking about AEs? And are we talking about full cycle? You know, there's so many places you can take it. But where I would want to take it is we are entering a golden age of what is 
I mean, it's a, it, it's a data set that we're all still really learning how to take advantage of, which is conversation data, you know? Um, so for me as a, as a coach and as a manager, my, my passion and where I honestly think I get the highest return on investment for time spent coaching is in look, looking at conversation data. So for, ex, for example, one of the things that we have a big emphasis on is listening, right? Well, well, everybody should have a big emphasis on listening, right? You can coach and you can, you can train to, to listening and, and, and you should most important factor for success in sales. Buyers will tell you that top performing salespeople will tell you that, but there's not a lot of great training in it. So one of the things that we do is we train a couple listening techniques and one of those listening techniques, if you're practicing it, essentially involves the rep frequently using expressions like, it sounds like, it seems like, feels like, hey, let me reflect that back to you. Hey, I'm hearing, or what I think I'm hearing. So all versions of those phrases, the things that you would say after you've just heard from your customer and before you move on, you want to reflect that back from them, right? It's called reflective listening. And so with with, with modern conversation intelligence technology, which every business has access to, you can actually start to put data around to, first of all, verify that those techniques correlate with better conversations, right? Um, so just a very, very practical example, something that I do to, from you know, data that I look at from a coaching perspective to make sure my reps are practicing listening and getting better at is you have a, like a long discovery call and you're not using that listening language I get an automatic notification like 10 minutes after that meeting is over. And the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to pop into my conversation intelligence tool and I'm going to, I'm going to spot, you know, I've learned how to visualize in a shape of a conversation. Where did you most likely miss the opportunity to do a little bit of reflection before you boomerang the conversation back to where you wanted it, which is not a good experience for, for, for the buyer. So part of the reason I go there is I just think it's a really, really exciting time to be a sales leader, to be a sales manager, to be a coach, because having access to this data set is, it's still relatively new. I mean, the, the majority of the, even though the, the, the technology space revenue.io, uh, like being one of the leaders in this space, we're not the only ones sort of investing in this problem. The, the, the marketplace for this kind of tools has really exploded, but the, you know, the, the addressable market is massive. The average company still isn't doing this kind of thing. So if you're not, I mean, this is, this is where everybody like needs to be full stop. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like the, the data is really driven from like conversation advances in conversation intelligence that are allowing you to identify when people are doing the thing that's most important to you, which is reflective listening, right? Which, which is, I, I agree, one of the most powerful things salespeople can do and, and identify gaps in that, which identify where you need to coach. So perfect. Here's a, here's an example. I'll give you a true story with some data. So about, uh, seven months ago, because I do a lot of listening to calls and I use conversation intelligence to help me like do that efficiently. You don't have to listen to all calls. It's like calls that you want. It became clear to me, but it was still a theory and hard data on it yet, but it, it became clear to me that the team, my AE team had gotten significantly better at I would say uncovering business challenges, which is great because that's something that we all want to do. It's something that we had been working on. And I could tell that actually just in the strength of 
their the documentation of their discovery in CRM, the strength of their the recap emails they were sending customers, doing a really good job documenting these challenges. But they were weak at taking it to the next level, which is mapping the business challenge to sort of business impact and really understanding the difference between this, these two things, right? So great, we found out that organi- company A is really struggling with a manual sales process. Well, okay, cool. Like we can automate your sales process, but why does that really matter? What's the consequence of not solving this, right? If we were to solve that and drive productivity, what does that, what does that mean for more operations? Like, let's do the math problem, right? So we did a training. This is back in July. And we found some examples where we were missing the opportunity to go beyond uncovering the problem and get to the business impact. And we shared that with folks. And I did something that I'm sure a lot of sales managers, leaders, coaches do. I said, Hey, here are six really, really great questions. I call them impact questions that you can ask. And it's questions like, what's the impact of that? Or, Hey, have you, (laughs) have you traced that problem to, to, to revenue? Hey, if we, if you were able to solve that with anyone, like with us or anybody else, whatever, but if you were to solve that, like, have you done the work to think about like what metrics are going to change and how is it going to impact revenue? Cause those are the conversations we want to, we, we really want to be having in, in discovery. So we did that training and then let's go back to what are the, what's the data? What are the metrics then that we want to report? Well, it's just looking at over time, first of all, are the reps, this goes to the reinforcement piece, by the way, are the reps actually more likely to be asking those questions? And that's what most sales organizations have no mm-hmm. effing clue. They do the training. Great. Go ask the questions. Put this sticky note on your computer. And some of them will get excited and will do it. But the majority of them will forget that training in bump it up. 30 days. We're back to our boy Ebbinghaus. But (laughs) if you have conversation intelligence, we can say, okay, cool. We did this training and and over the subsequent two weeks, hey team, notice that we don't really seem to be changing our behavior here at scale. Mary over here is doing a really good job. And that's just repetition, by the way, in our usual sales training. Guys, let's look at the dashboard. We're not asking these questions. But then by week four, we start to see, oh, interesting. We're seeing a little bit of an uptick. And on, like, honestly, God, true story. We, that was, we do this all the time, but in that particular example, I was able to put data and show the team, my friends, look, we are now three times more likely in discovery calls to be asking these impact questions. And we doubled our average deal size over a period of two quarters. Now, doubling that average deal size comes from a lot of different places, but it absolutely comes from doing better discovery. So this is one specific example, but generally what I would say is, you know, metrics and sales coaching, conversation data. Conversation data, yeah. By the way, first, love the example. I was a part of those trainings and it was amazing. And I watched those numbers go up over the course of like four weeks and was like, oh my God, like this is actually working. And then when you flag, hey guys, it's working. Reminder, here's what that was. You're battling the Ebbinghaus curve. So it's going to get better and better and better the higher it goes, right? It continues to stack upon itself, which it has continued to stack upon itself. I would note in case anybody missed it, Ryan taught me reflective listening probably like eight years ago when I was first entering tech. When he finished his first rant, I said, sounds like 
and reflected it back to him. And what did he do? He went on a four-minute tangent of a perfect example of what we were looking for. <laughs> and I didn't have to do anything. So if anybody listening doesn't believe reflective listening is the most powerful thing, it really is. You really don't have to do anything. You just reflect it back. Actively listen, reflect it back. Boom, boom, boom. It goes, right? And that led us to an incredible example. So um, just to point that out. Brian, I still use that skill that you teach me. You taught me a long time ago. I, I did an event that I stole it from someone else. Go ahead, Brandon. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, but, but, to the point you were just making, like prior to your training, you really need to identify which metrics should be positively impacted, right? You should mm-hmm. have an idea before you do your training. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that goes back to what, how do you battle the ebbing house forgetting curve, right? You should know that those things, because that'll be part of how you fight that on an ongoing right? basis. Yeah, ha- have the metrics and know how you're going to be reporting on those metrics, how often, and, and make that visible to people, right? Don't just all of a sudden, 30 days later, just show up and be like, okay, guys, uh, here's some data, you are not doing better on XYZ. Like people need that <laughs> feedback in real time, as close to real time Y'all as are possible. getting worse. What's going <laughs> <Yeah>. on? <laughs> also a totally fair thing though. Like that will sure. happen, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely can happen. Sometimes but, it gets and, worse before you get better. And, and and that's the right time to say, hey guys, like why is it why is it getting worse? Let's un- let's get under that. Like we, we did this training, we've been coaching on it, like we're not doing it. Why? What's what's going on? And go if we go back to um, if we go back to that question around sort of foundations, right. Or what, 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 what makes effective coaching, Brandon, you just, you just gave another example, know what metric you're going to move, have a plan for repetition, but also have practices of value nine times out of 10. If we're not moving the needle, we're not practicing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Totally. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I actually have one more question, but I'm going to skip it in the interest of time because we went down that rabbit hole and I think that was the best rabbit hole for us to go down because that was, that was <laughs> really, really awesome. Um, so I'm going to skip us to our last segment, which is this week on LinkedIn. Actually beforehand, Brandon said, sent me a this week on LinkedIn and I had one that I, I was planning on using while we were on this podcast. The one I was planning on using was career advice related, sort of like, do I take a step back in my career to go to this we other company? I think, I think we're actually listening we in the career section of the podcast just for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so we are. So I think it's actually appropriate. <laughs> but while we were on this thing, uh, she messaged me and she has accepted the, the job that she was asking about. And it is at a direct competitor to us. We're not going to answer that question because it hurts my soul a little bit that she asked me and then didn't use the advice and then immediately took a job at a competitor. So, so, uh, so we're going to go with the slam dunk easy question that Brandon brought because he always brings the home runs that are real easy for everybody. What podcast are you listening to? <laughs> And yeah, right, I, we'll start I, with you. What, what podcast are you listening to? I'm I'm huge into this podcast called Finding Mastery. Finding Mastery oh, is I like is it. A, yeah, do you know it? No, um, I do. I, I like the sound of it. It's right down my alley. Okay, Tell yeah. Us about so speaking speaking of reflective listening, so Finding Mastery is uh, hosted by a, um, a a psychologist named Michael Gervais, and his specialty in psychology is. Uh, sports and performance. And essentially he is an advisor to uh, world-class athletes, but not just athletes. His clients also include folks in business. He's actually on staff at the Seattle Seahawks and his guests are folks who I have just reached some, you know, pinnacle of their profession. He interviews a lot of athletes though, 
a lot of uh, athletes, a lot of endurance athletes, uh, a lot of folks in in business. And what I love most about it, I'm generally interested in the content, go back to continuous learning, self-development, improvement. Like it's kind of the theme of his guests, uh, by the way. He is an unbelievable listener. I get turned off by a lot of uh, it's like single hosted podcasts when I feel like the host is really just creating a forum to continue talking about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I just get really bored of that. And uh, this guy has a, has a lot of nuggets, but um, if you listen to the podcast it for like my, my reflective listening homies out there, the first third of it, you'll just notice you keep waiting for him to move the conversation somewhere else. He just has this unbelievable knack of like these mini reflections that just keep his guests going deeper and deeper and deeper. So finding mastery with Michael Gervais. Nice. Love that. Well, we will, by the way, for everybody listening, we will list these in the uh, episode description so you can find them later. I got this one written down. Brandon, Jonathan, what are you listening to? Jonathan, go ahead. My list is going to be pretty short. <laughs> so I, I like <laughs> Doesn't read. He doesn't read. I don't listen. He doesn't speak on the episodes. I don't know. <laughs> I, saw, I, also, I also saw you get up and leave for a minute, had, literally in the middle of the episode. I had to shut my window. <laughs> <laughs> what are you listening to? Give us give us the um, name of a podcast, so please. I, I do really like how I built this. I like uh, anything around the entrepreneur uh landscape is great a lot of comedy stuff too so i'm a huge fan of uh joe rogan and uh pat mcafee i do a lot of listening on those channels i know they're not really business related but funny nonetheless and uh that'd probably be my podcast uh you you just became everybody's least favorite when you said joe rogan probably but uh the pat Pat mcafee ones for sports is always pretty fun until he has aaron Rodgers on at that point i skip that episode every single time um cool i will list the one how i built this we're not gonna list the other ones in the episode because whatever Pat McAfee. <laughs> you, you listen you listen to Barstool Sports as a podcast you listen to on a I can't He's I can't even do this right he now. Brandon. Yeah it, Brandon, what are you what are you listening to? I actually I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, like you, I'm a prof G fan. So prof G. G, yes, Scott Galloway's podcast. Um uh I do like the Masters of Scale podcast a lot. Um that's that is one of the better podcasts out there for sure. Um I, I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. I'm, a, I'm in the Tim Ferriss fan club, no doubt. Um, I also, one of the ones that I've more business related that I'm really into, it's the Ray Reich podcast, uh, Metrics That Measure Up. I, I know you've been on that before, Jordan. Um, actually, I, th- I think I listened to that episode and I was like, I like this Ray guy, I'll go listen to Ray instead of Jordan. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it is a great podcast. Actually, he was a guest on us too, obviously, and you you hosted that episode, and he was wonderful. Um, but yeah, his it's a fun one to be a part of, and yeah, it's a great podcast. We're gonna be listening. Check it out. Yeah, I th- I I think everyone listening to this podcast is data you know metrics minded, data driven. You you guys will love his podcast if if you don't know that podcast already. Um, and then there's Lockhead on marketing. There's a few hockey podcasts. Um, that's let's skip that. Those skip, are the ones. Let's I, skip the hockey ones. <laughs> those are, pet uh, those are the ones hockey. that I listen to regularly. <laughs> um, I love it. Spit so, chicklets. Spit chicklets. Who doesn't? Oh my god. Spit chicklets. <laughs> 
The most you two spoke the whole episode. The most. <laughs> the whole time. So right here, I, could, I could go on and on about podcasts. Um, the, uh, the, the, the only one that I add that I, I really enjoy it and it's less business related, although I would argue it's very business related, is I love the Daily Stoic with Ryan Holiday. Hmm. Yes. Ryan uh, yes. 100%. So good. Um, I listen to Tim Ferriss a bunch too, similar, similar vein, but Ryan Holiday is just masterful in that podcast. So, um, And while it's about stoicism, it is about how you handle your life, including how you show up at work and those sort of things. So I think it's really helpful for everybody. Um, anything else you guys want to add in? No. Every, everybody just giving me head nods. That's so so yeah. that's it for this week on LinkedIn. There's one thing I want to note, though, at the end of this episode. It's a pretty pretty important episode. First, I think it's our 35th episode, which congrats on us. Woo. We're staying about one week ahead of when they air. So this last <laughs> week. So, like, we, we've somehow managed to do that for about 35 weeks straight. So good job, everybody. A high five. Uh, but... It's an important milestone for us because our fearless producer, this is his last episode producing the podcast. Mm. So Alec, who is here today, is moving on from Revenue IO next week. Uh, and just want to say a huge thank you, Alec. You've been really helpful for me in, in building you know, my LinkedIn following and, and finding my voice as, as an individual. And this this podcast was really the brainchild of you and I together, actually. You know, we sort of came up with this over a beers session at 4, 4 or 5 p.m. on a Thursday, I think, and had brainstormed it and kind of made it a reality. And you've been producing it the whole time, and everything we've accomplished with it is, is in large part to that. So just want a big thank you, and uh, we will miss you on the podcast and probably have you back as a guest a couple of times. But mm-hmm. thank you, Alec. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been really fun. Good thing I was actually listening. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's the first time. Yeah, it's been great. And I think uh, the response has been awesome. I'm sure it's it's only going to continue to grow. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much, Alec. We, I, I second what Jordan says. You've been an amazing producer for this podcast, and we're going to struggle a little bit trying to find how to replace you because that's, that's almost Big impossible. Big shoes to fill. You had to yeah. deal with Jonathan being upset every time there's like a slight squeak in the audio <laughs> for the past six months. So, so, so again, thank you. And everybody who's listening, uh, send Alec your best. Follow us on LinkedIn. Give us five stars on Spotify and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Tune in next week. Uh, we will probably have a new guest. I haven't lined that up yet. We'll have to figure it out. We have no we'll producer, so we'll, de- we'll get there. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Ryan, for, for joining in today. See you right next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.